Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar journey where we watch everything Pixar has ever made. That includes movies, shorts, tech demos, and more. I am Mark Young, and with me today, as always, is Danny Vincent. And I'm we are Danny. back watching regular Pixar things. Danny Vincent, here to talk about Pixar. Watch me talk about it. We'll keep. Have I ever told you that story? What on earth could this be about? No. Well, what? you were in the Drowsy Chaperone, much like I was pre-college. Wow, I didn't know I told you about that, but yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you actually had a role, and I was just in the chorus. I my my featured moment in Drowsy Chaperone, which really the reason that's important. Okay, first off, so if the listeners at home, Drowsy Chaperone's a musical. And like most colleges, like normal colleges, my school, not sorry, most high schools, not a lot of men did the musicals, right? Because that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, so there's a song at the beginning of Act Two of the Drowsy Chaperone, which is supposed to have featured dancers. It's called Funky Monkey, and the featured dancers are like the male chorus, some some male chorus members who dance as a monkey, aka. Literally every male in chorus besides me got to be a featured dancer because I can't dance, <laughs> which is fine. Like it, it, it's, I, I, I did, wasn't really bothered by that. But my featured moment was in the song "Show Off," which is a um, big number for the female lead in the first act. And I was one of the reporters. The all the ever reporters were women in the chorus, and I was the only male reporter. Which again, okay, fine, whatever. I think also I was a freshman, so again, don't really care. But during my during one of our practices of the number, the end of it was like the featured reporters go up and try to like bend down and take a picture. And I accidentally tripped, but I managed to like trip into a slide, which looked like apparently it looked intentional. And everyone was like, wow, like the, the choreographer was like, that's great. Let, let's keep it. <laughs> uh, and then later on, I found out some people. And it might sound like I'm like they're making fun of me, but honestly, this is one of those things where it's like it might have started making fun of me, but to me it was like, eh, like it's valid and it's also kind of funny that I had a like the show off goes, I'm Janet, Janet Van de Graaff, da, 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 here to marry Robert Martin. So I guess that's actually an fancy dress, which is the opening number. But anyway, they would be like some people were like, I'm Danny, Danny Vincent, here to take Janet's picture, watch him stumble on the stage. We'll keep it in, which <laughs> and I was like, ha wow. I'll take it. You it's know, like, like <laughs> might be it might be originally intended as bullying, considering who it came from. Although the guy, Mitch, that was someone who bullied me like for my fresh like middle school and freshman year, but then we ended up being chill with each other like pretty much after freshman year. Um, but wow. it's like, yeah, I'll take it. Why not? Like, <laughs> I want to got That sounds like you got bullied like on a Disney Channel show. I mean, it. It didn't work. I thought it was funny. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, cool. Like, cool that we uh, put the song, we wrote, rewrote the song to be about me. Like, valid. They made it's a good special. song. Well, all right. If I ever do that again on this podcast, I'll just be like, refer back to our, you are from the rat press drop set to understand this reference. And then we'll mm -hmm. have a guest and they'll be like, I guess they'll have to refer back to that episode. That is the episode we're on. We're here to talk about two short films, Presto and your friend the rat. Danny, do you want to tell us a little bit about each of these boys? Uh, I will, but first, to tip my hand a bit, the 
canyon of quality between these two works, in my opinion, could not be further. <laughs> but really, okay. your friend the rat is a bonus short on the Ratatouille Blu-ray uh, that is about Remy and Emil talking about how great rats are and giving you a little historical lesson. It is closer in tone to exploring the reef than any other Pixar short we've done. There's a couple of bits of entertainment here, but it's really like meant to educate. It's kind of goofy. It's fun. It's very long, but yeah. It's directed by Jim Capobianco, who I can't... I When I was looking at him, I guess I could go to the Pixar wiki. Maybe I'll find something there, but I can't really find any other big work of his from Pixar. He mm-hmm. seems like a one-off guy. Yeah, well, a lot of these one-off guys, and we'll get into this more because of Doug Sweetland, our other director today, but a lot of these one-off guys are really, like, fantastic character animators or some guy that had, like, one job and, you know, they're not always the big director name on a project, but they're doing stuff. Well, let me tell you, I just opened up Jim Capobianco's uh, LinkedIn. His profile is he wrote Ratatouille, co-wrote Ratatouille. Oh, we'll talk about him next week. This is actually pretty exciting. He directed the end credits sequence of Wally, which is a phenomenal end credit sequence. It's one of my favorite end credit sequences ever. Um, mm. Pretty much it goes Wally, 22 <laughs> Jump Street, <laughs> and the rest of. No, I'm sure there are other good ones too, but those are the two that come to mind immediately whenever some people tell me. What are some good like end credits moments? And then he he's worked on the story for a lot of things. Um, he has an independent film called Leonardo, which is apparently a MoMA. He apparently directed the animated sequences in Mary Poppins Returns. He's also... It's, okay, so I don't know when this was updated because LinkedIn obviously doesn't list when stuff was updated. But it says, currently working with Gary Rydstrom and Mason Bates to create a Fantasia film, Philharmonia Fantastique, was, that was supposed to premiere in March and April of 2020. Let's, let's look... Okay, you know what? I'm doing a little... Let's do doing a little... It's a 25-minute concerto. Oh, you LinkedIn? can rent it on Apple TV. You know, we should we should add this one to our detours if it's not on there. This is actually sounds interesting. It's a 25 minute short film. That's a collaboration of Jim Capobianco, Gary Rydstrom, who directed Lifted, and then another a DJ and composer named Mason Bates. This sounds interesting. We should definitely add it to our detour list. Because you can a rent lot of it these guys Apple. have such neat side projects. Maybe not side projects, but. Again, about Doug Sweetland, who is the guy who I went down this LinkedIn deep dive on. He's now working... This might not have been a project that he worked on, but like he says that he's working with a company called Digital Fish now, and one of their projects, according to their website, is like the 3D digital ESPN space. Mm. Like one of those desks where the guys talk at you and all this shit flies around their heads. So now they do cool stuff like that. I just I just thought that was interesting because it seems like you know they they went from doing Pixar, which is such a big part of the culture, and now they're doing little things that are still very widely seen and influential, but you might not even think of them that way. And then since you brought him up, I'm gonna just quickly introduce Presto, and then we can really get into it. I'm sorry, he was no, no. I want to reply to what you said, but I, I feel like I gotta say what Presto is before I reply to what you said. Presto is directed by Doug Sweetland, uh, who we talked about last week in our Pixar Story episode. No, sorry, two weeks ago in our Pixar Story episode. <laughs> Forgot about April Fools. Uh, mm. But two weeks ago in our Pixar our Pixar Story episode, because he's the guy who 
asks he's the model for like toy uh Woody's walk out and then also um he animated the scene where Marlin tells Nemo how old sea turtles are. Doug Sweetland directs Presto, which is in my opinion a really great short. It's put in front of Wally, which I think is probably one of the best pairings Pixar's ever done with a short because Presto is both incredibly different from Wally and is also very dependent on its lack of dialogue, much like the beginning of Wally is. The Wikipedia page mentions that it's not on the criterion of Wally, which I gotta say, lame, it should be on the criterion, in my opinion. Because I already tipped my hand, I think the chasm in quality could not be different between these two. And to say which one I think is better, I think Presto is possibly my favorite Pixar short. Uh, very possibly. Ooh. I adore this short. I am. I, mean, I am. I had so such a bad day. This. I had such a bad day today, and I watched Presto. And now I'm happy, and Mark's going to take my happiness away. I can tell. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Get ready, listeners. Danny has set up that he is extremely happy about this short, and I was lukewarm about Presto. I guess I have to get angrier, and then more people will like me. <laughs> but before we talk about Presto, I have to reply to what you said about Doug Sweetland, which is yes. he also made a short, uh, an actual film, a feature-length film that we will eventually cover as a detour. That I'm very excited. It's one of my most excited for detours we have, which is the Warner Brothers animated movie Storks, which is the only movie the newly formed Warner Brothers Animation Group made for a long amount of time that wasn't a Lego movie. And it kind of bombed the box office, which is why they only did Lego movies for a bit. Until Smallfoot comes out in, like, late 2019, I think, maybe. No. Yeah, 2019. Smallfoot is what um, a coworker of mine once referred to as the Woke Yeti movie. And I can't ever not refer to it as the Woke Yeti movie ever since I heard that. I'm like, yep, that's that's inaccurate. But Doug Sutherland does have woke? a feature film. Because um, it's about the joys of the scientific method and how religion is evil. Oh, lol. <laughs> Actually, that so was also pretty feet. good. Not as good as um, Storks, but I don't know who directed Smallfoot. Let me look. I don't so think have you so. seen Storks? Yeah. That is one of the first guests I've ever booked for our show. Our mm. guest for Storks is someone who I saw Storks with. Gotcha. You don't really know that well. Exciting. Smallfoot is directed by Carrie Kirkpatrick, who also directed Over the Hedge, Imagine That, which is the live-action Eddie Murphy movie, and then Smallfoot. Gotcha. So, that is also, so you, Carrie Kirkpatrick, you might know from theater, because he wrote all the music for Something Rotten. I don't, oh. I haven't seen Something Rotten, so... Neither have I. <laughs> well, but it's a pretty popular show. He also has special links on the Shaun the Sheep movie. Well, hey. the, the second one. Man, that would be, like, my favorite credit to get. I've been thinking more and more about all the special thanks that show up, and it's always for... Like, we hear about crazy special thanks i would love that kind of credit like special thanks on sean the sheep movie you can think whatever you want about what i did you can make it as romantic as you like like i i gave them a toe or something like that i want to say this one weird credit got carrie kirkpatrick will never be covered on this show i i but since we he actually came out he has like one of the weirdest credits i can find on here okay so under tv whatever it's well tv just he has one episode of timon and pumbaa and then no TV credit till Something Rotten appears on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. But then I wanted to mention under the other credits, because I said special thanks. So there was a Phineas and Ferb like reunion movie released in 2020. Years, I think that's like a two or three years after the show ended. And he wrote one song in it, which is such a weird thing to me. It's like, 
Because Phineas Verb, you know, they have their in-house songwriters. So, like, why would you call up this, like... I presume he's Tony nominated. I just kind of assume anyone who writes a musical is Tony nominated. Like a Broadway musical that's well liked is Tony nominated. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean the songs in Something Rotten are good. I. But I'm just. Kind of why would you hire him to do one song for the Phineas and Ferb movie? That's so weird to me. You know. Maybe they're just pals. They're just like we. We just. But that's the only credit I'm thinking. Because you think. Cause, sorry, I don't want to be like freaking out of this, but like he's an animator, so animators like constantly like do scratch voices or like guest spots on other animator shows you know are we still talking about carrie kirkpatrick yes we can get back to our main topic but i'm just saying that I was the guy surprised. that wrote the music for something rotten you're, you're he like directed, why did they give him a music he directed Smallfoot and over the hedge he's an animator too well now this guy sounds actually really interesting i'm not like he also wrote the english wait, translation what? for secret world of ariadne and from up on poppy hill and the smurfs too is this the coolest guy in the world he's got a very weird career oh we also have covered a movie of his he um wrote james and the giant peach he's a writer he's a credited writer on james and the giant peach well Anyway, we got sidetracked. Weren't you going to say something about my bringing up Doug Sweetland? Oh, it was that you you were like, he's a, such a cool side project. I'm like, yeah, but you forgot that he has a feature film, too. Unlike Jane Copy Bianco, who just disappeared. Doug well, Sweetland. Well, I kind of thought Storks and we'll talk about this more when well we regarded. do this, the Storks episode. I think it's interesting that he made such like an acclaimed... Sh- I know you apparently don't like it, but it Presto was very acclaimed when it came out. And he made like... The, he was like one of those things where... It wasn't like lifted or like um, I'm trying to think of another recent short we've did, but my point is, Prostaco everyone's like, oh, what's he gonna do at Pixar now? Like as is like, or like you know, actually One Man Band. After One Man Band, Mark Andrews immediately was like, oh, I'm working on something at Pixar, but Doug Sweetland left. So I'm always curious with the stories there that he left after he mm. made something that everyone really liked, besides Mark. Yeah. I hate it. That's my position. I think it is the best thing I've ever seen. I'm glad that this episode's off to a great start. Should we talk about what's going on in these shorts? Well, I guess maybe we should start with my friend the rat. Your friend the rat, not my friend the rat. Well, I liked my friend the rat because I think I was expecting... The title well, is your I... friend the rat. That's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying you liked it. I'm saying it, the title is your oh, friend. Oh, did I just say my you friend you the rat? You said you say my friend the rat. I'm like, that's not the name of it. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> my friend well. the rabbit. Your friend the rat. <laughs> um. Well, what I, what I liked about it is that it's... I just don't think of it as a short. Remember how awkward and weird exploring the reef was and now we get to your friend the rat and it's got all the stuff going on i mean again to talk about youtube videos treating it like that versus a really tight short i really enjoyed it i it's not tight and i think you know i could see it being like maybe 11 minutes or something like that but i didn't hate it my issue your friend the rat. I think that as a child, you get these Pixar DVDs, right? Or Blu-rays, whatever you want to call them. I think it's still a DVD at this point, even though I have a Blu-ray red to it. You know, you get Jack Jack Attack. Awesome. It's about it gives me exactly what I want. I get Mater in the Ghost Light. I'm not a big fan of cars, but again, short film with the people of cars falls up on them. Even exploring the Reef Jacques Cousteau has the conceit somewhat that 
Jacques Cousteau is visiting these characters and it takes place after the movie. And you get this thing where it's so clearly like, they're aware they're in a movie and it's Pixar Animated Studios. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Remy and Emil don't know they're actors. And that's uh, where the short bobber is a child. <laughs> or as a 12-year-old, I guess. Cause I yeah, wasn't... it does. It does break a lot of its own rules. I will argue that. that Presto does that as well. Presto uses cartoon logic. It's okay. I don't know what you mean by cartoon logic. Well, what do you think cartoon logic is? Well, I think I think we're talking about different things right now because I think that you're talking about cartoon logic, meaning the same thing as cartoon physics, and I have no problem with the cartoon physics of Presto. I think that the relationship between Presto and the rabbit, it seems, you know, I, I was reading about the background of them making the film, how originally it was supposed to be about a rabbit with stage fright who, well, that, that's kind of the concept of the film is that the rabbit has stage fright when Presto acquires him and they have to like learn to work together. Um, and I feel like this film feels like two stories or two narratives kind of mushed together you have the bit the long bit in the middle where and if anyone doesn't know presto is about it's the short where the magician it's the greatest short film ever made yeah just kidding it's, it's second about to duck amok and okay third to rejected goes duck amok rejected is pretty long rejected presto i, th- I don't man i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> the problem that i have with presto seems is that like the antagonism between the two characters is so it it doesn't really set up their reconciliation at the end and it's also not established by their relationship in the beginning we go so far during the whole short we go from presto being like abusive and neglectful to them being great friends that I don't think that ending is motivated anyway just with like what happens in the short that's maybe that's kind of repeating myself what I'm what I'm saying is that presto should just be a bunch of gags I think that like it is a bunch of gags a... okay <laughs> that's what makes it you're good not, you're, you're it's not, a gag even... short but they tried to like put a narrative on it and it... I don't think they should have it's a narrative short and it too. also doesn't fit it makes sense it doesn't make sense. Alec, Why? Alec Kazam, which is a great name for a rabbit, might I add. Alec Kazam is a rabbit who is hungry. Presto arrives in late for some reason that we don't need to know about because he's a magician and this is a cartoon short well, and we don't he just need to. ate dinner. Okay. And Presto, since he arrived late, accidentally doesn't give his rabbit the carrot. It very much is an accident. I think the short film very obviously makes it an accident because it's like, oh no, uh, you, you need you on stage. But if it's an accident, why doesn't he just give him the carrot during the act? Mark, he... what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Like, here's this is this is my problem with it. If Presto is truly forgetful and forgets to give him the carrot, why doesn't he give him the carrot immediately after realizing he's forgotten to give him the carrot? Because how is that a good show? How is that a good show to the audience? Pull the rabbit well, out of the just, hat immediately give it a carrot. About something else. What? Yeah, because it's an obvious question that should be easily answered before you move on to a more interesting conflict. Like if you just forgot to give him the carrot, and then Presto tells him he forgot to give him the carrot, he should just give him the carrot. 
Well, because like, Presto's they, being a dick. Also, sorry, Alex being a dick. He's not doing well, his and, job. Now, granted, it's a reasonable reason because he asks he should be fed before he does his job. Like, I'm not... I'm not. I I I think maybe maybe Alex. See, it's so hard to keep their names straight. I think maybe Alec needs like to get a better like labor deal here. Maybe 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 unionize. But the issue here is that okay, Presto forgot to give his rabbit. He should give the carrot. From what we can see, usually he probably gives the carrot usually right after during the act after he pulls the rabbit out of the hat too. Maybe he gets a second carrot. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't. To me, this is a question that is Cinema City. I don't. I don't really entirely care about it when he usually gets the, the the carrot in it. But I have reason to believe that he's going to get the carrot later on in the act. Alec, yes, he didn't get his carrot beforehand either, but he's refusing to do the act. So what is he gonna do? Is is Presto gonna say to the audience, or you know, more like Pantsman because this is a silent short? Yo. Sorry, guys. I forgot to feed my rabbit. Wait five minutes, okay? Then we'll do the show for you. That, that's a, gr that, okay. That is a better idea. Because then you actually create, like, conflict within Presto. Because he both has to act, and he has to give the rabbit the carrot. But the rabbit's already being a dick about it. Well, he's already being a dick about it, but he doesn't have to be a dick about it. Okay, I don't know why. So, I don't know why he had such a hard time getting the carrot when he was in his cage, but now he's like this mastermind of coming up with gags and things. Because he has a magic hat. Yeah, but like he knows how to use the magic hat. Like he has a level of intelligence during but he didn't the gag have the magic portion hat in that he thing. doesn't have. It's a, it, no, I'm saying it's a level of intelligence. Like, why don't we start with Presto, like with this weird Rube Goldberg contraption where he's got his cage, like. That so sucks to the rabbit. <laughs> that, that defeats the entire. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so dismissive, but like, what? That's a completely different story. It's like, why don't we start with the rabbit building something cool? Why would we start with the rabbit building something cool? This well, is makes, this I... makes a huge question because once you make sorry, once you do that thing, and maybe you're spitballing, and you're getting annoyed that I'm jumping on you for your spitballing. I am kind of. I am kind of like it is spitballing because the the point, the point is that. The the characters can be consistent. Like, the characters are consistent. <laughs> We're gonna fight not, over the short. They're not though. And How are I, they I not? Feel, I, I, well, I feel like I've I've made my case. Is that the first? It has to do with the level of intelligence of Alec seems to change from the beginning of the short to the middle of the short, and then the dickishness of presto seems to change between the beginning and middle to the end of the short like why why on are earth people the consistently short... always the same type of dick i mean no but it's not like i think you're a different kind of a dick in a different situation like a great example of this is that we talked about a lot is matthew mcfadden in succession like he's only a dick around greg and this, I think that is a great and true part of succession that they, they do the thing that they tell you in writer's school to do, like give a character different characters to show how they act differently around them. I think, you know, you have the different situations of Alec being with Presto and then alone, and he can act differently in those situations, but, like, you're asking, like, can he be a dick when he's alone? It's like, nah, not really. So, 
it's I'm not I don't think there's an opportunity for him to be a different kind of a dick you know like something something has to change besides him being alone and he's he's only like trying to get the carrot for a brief brief moment because it's a short film <laughs> the whole thing probably is about four minutes total without credits I didn't time it but I know it's five minutes total period so to me it's like the whole thing is four minutes long we open on him trying to get the carrot we don't know how long he's been trying to get the carrot. As far as we know, he trusted his owner because Presto probably, if they, they are friends, I'm, which they seem to be friends because they are a touring act, and this is a thing where the rabbit is sentient, right? This is not like, he's not a rat, like he's a cartoon rabbit, yeah, right? Yeah, so like, he's a sentient rabbit. Yeah, they are, they are part, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, they are partners in this. However, they're partners, well, they're, okay, Backing of it. They're not partners because he still keeps his rabbit caged. So, not totally partners. There's still a power dynamic here. Presto. Sorry, Alec doesn't usually go probably for his rabbit. But we see, we get the knowledge that Presto arrived late. Which means that probably that's why Alec is trying to get his carrot. Because it is already past when he's supposed to eat. Then, because they are rushed out to the stage, Alec forgets to give him his carrot. Alec probably, from what I can tell with this act, probably normally pulls the rabbit out, gives him the carrot, and then continues the act with the rabbit. Because as we can see on his poster, Alec and Presto get the same type of billing. At initially, the end, they do. And, well, okay, initially it only says Presto, but that's because that's the title of the short, right? That's what it's because it's the title of the short. We can't we can't no, treat that as canon. Because you could beat because you could you could just. You could fix this problem, just be like, show Presto, and then have the background of the poster, like, fade in under him, and then, it, I don't know, it could even be, like, Presto, and then, like, written in, like, shitty ink or something, like, and Alec the Rabbit, before he becomes Alec Azam at the end of the show. I don't know. I know, I know that's not, that's, that's I think like his a name sm- of, now I'll I'm kind of jumping think, on you for spitballing. I also but. think his name, I think... This is to me. This is a little maybe too speculative. Maybe it's not. But to me, I always took it as his name is always Alexam. It's just that this short has no dialogue, so we don't hear them go like, "And here's Presto and his rabbit Alexam." You know what? Because sure. Alexam is such a, you know, Presto and Alexam yeah. are just so obviously like magic puns, and they'd be good yeah. stage names. I think I accept the world that you're positing. Like this is how their act normally goes, but. I would like to see more of that on the stage like because if if they don't if they don't care about the previous world then like this it seems like there are no stakes there are it is there are no stakes until the end because it is it becomes a gag short which is one of the more clever gag because to me what makes this a good gag short is maybe you disagree here but they present you this thing where these are the rules of this hat it's basically just like you know a portal thing it then proceeds to do pretty much every possible joke you can do with that thing in the setting it's given then it ends when it's very clearly all right all right the audience is probably getting a little tired of these jokes now like us not like the audience in the movie like the audience watching this is probably like all right let's wrap this up because this is supposed to be a short 
It gives you a big showstopper moment at the end where he saves the thing. Because even if you're saying, like, well, because to me, the reason I'm very, like, what are you talking about here? Because the impression I get is that you're saying, like, I don't get why he saves him at the end. And to me, it's like, well, probably because he doesn't want his friend to die. Even if you forgot to give give him food once, that doesn't mean he wants him to die. Mm, And then we get this. I'm intrigued by you always seeing them as friends. Because him being in the cage at the beginning does not tell that to me about their relationship. They're they're friends in the way that a dog is your friend. You're still going to not give your dog... Yes, they are still like, oh, it's a a pet friendship, you know? It's not like an actual friendship. But he could be liberated at the end. I think you want 2023 politics in this short film from 2008. No, I'm just, I'm saying that, like, I, I actually think that is a compelling counterpoint to what I've been saying, is if you read the short film as they're always friends, and they're just messing with each other this whole time, or it's like, it's like a light argument, then that that does a lot for me. But I also think that the short at the beginning, like, he's in the cage, Presto comes in, and he's, I, I think he's snooty-coded, like, immediately... And he's got him in the cage, and then he, like, runs off without giving him his carrot. And I feel like there's there there's room for debate about their level of friendship, I think, throughout. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I think I can watch the short film and have a better experience reading it your way, but I'm just, I'm just not sure the short gives me that in the beginning. Here's, here's, here's it's what like I want. You can have a sentient rabbit or you can have a dog rabbit. To, no. to get rid of the to get I want to I want to argue with you but also run away from this for a second the friend thing that's an entire thing that's its own thing but my thing to you Mark is and maybe you're gonna be like well these these dynamics you're about to mention are totally different and they they're not relevant but to me it's like to me what you're asking here is explain to me why Tom and Jerry sometimes dance together and sometimes want to kill each other. That is the vibe I'm getting from this conversation. <laughs> because to me, it's like, it's just the, the I don't want to be like, it's just a cartoon on this podcast where like, cartoons are, but that, unlike everything else up to this point we've seen of Pixar, besides maybe the adventures of Andre and Wally B, this is such a clear, like, we are trying to make an old style cartoon with the animation we have. And that to me is like the whole appeal here. It's like, Yes, I could hyperanalyze Presto and uh, Alex's relationship, but that's not what I'm here for. This is a Tom and Jerry short. This is a Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner short. Where yes, you might not like that there's a little arc at the end, but the reason there is is because this is a one-off thing. We're not going to get multiple shorts about Presto and Alec fighting. Because also, their relationship as set up doesn't allow that. If they were constantly fighting each other, it wouldn't make any sense because they are still business partners, even if one of them's a pet. But they do still, like, you know, it's, it's a job for them, right? Because I don't think yeah. Presto minds me working with that. I think Presto likes that. He just wants his damn carrot. Which, again, is, like, classic, like, cartoon thing, motivation. What does the rabbit want? He just wants a carrot. What does the magician want to put on his act? Rabbit didn't get carrot. Rabbit fucks up act. Hmm. That's that's my whole takeaway on the short. Is like it's such a clear like we're doing we're gonna try to do an old Looney Tunes type of short film. Yay! And it succeeds more than I think any other gag short Pixar has done up to this point. Because one, in my opinion, 
I've seen this short probably over the years 10 or 15 times. Because this is a short I go to like to show kids at work. This is a short that I go to to just watch a short film. I still laugh my ass off at most of the jokes in this. One, because I don't like, you know, watch it constantly, so I forget the jokes. But two, it's also just like, I think there's so many brilliant dimensions to the jokes. Um, to me, the funniest thing about the short is like the da-da that constantly plays during anything that happens that's like, this guy's just, like very clearly like this guy just got his fingers stuck in a mousetrap and it's like, ta-da! It's like, yes, it's magic to the audience, but you can see that he's in pain. I just think it's mm. such a smartly con like constructed joke constantly where yes maybe you might maybe the ending isn't as great as it could be because it's like oh we got to end the short and yes i'm the guy who constantly is like oh we ran out of gags we got to end the short but the the gags do escalate here it's not like we jump from like like the first thing we get is him getting a mousetrap okay next thing is electric uh, electricity okay ends with almost dropping a piano on him. all the jokes clearly build to where it's going to it's well a very smartly yeah. constructed gag short Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It raises a lot of questions that Mike's new car just didn't. Because Mike's new car doesn't need a set of characters. You know who Mike and Sully are. They're not comparable. Yeah. What this yeah, is going to be well, compared to is Knickknack. If you want to compare it to another gag short. Yeah. Well, I th I mean, I think Knickknack is more successful. I disagree. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's funny that you brought up Tom and Jerry and... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna compare everything you said to Tom and Jerry, but I think there is a lesson in Tom and Jerry because, for example, the relationship between the characters is already established just because that they're a cat and a mouse, and the Tom and Jerry shorts actually like divert, uh, like go off from that assumption they're like all right you know that as soon as they're going to interact they're going to like fight each other so how can we like explore this in different ways like now jerry is buying a new home or like tom goes to space or some shit like that and in for example and then in, in mike's new car you have like it's a new car and it's like well there you go and you do come with a, that baggage from monsters inc and in knickknack I think the important character thing is is that he wants to be with the snow globe woman and you have to accept that everything in the world is sentient. I think those are basically the, the only two things you need to like go along with Knickknack. Presto is just confused in in how it sets up its character relationship because it's like what is it? It's like the magician's like over here being famous and Presto is alone in the room and he doesn't get as much of a spotlight as he does. And then at the end, he does share the spotlight with him, but like, is that really what he was like trying to earn the whole time? Because he just he wanted his carrot guy. and he got his carrot. Happy endings. What? Well, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, sort, it's sort of like within the framework that I've outlined, it seems like the joke that Presto is exploring is like, what if a rabbit were sentient? in its quest for a carrot. But the joke is explores is like... what if the magic cat was magic? <laughs> that's yeah, the joke that's it like, explores. That's not even like... That's... I don't know. I have a problem with that too because this is not my axe to grind and I would like to, for it to be something that I have like 
always had a problem with, but it's it's something that was articulated to me. I don't even remember where. I forget like what I was watching or something like that, but it was something about how like there's a difference in movies between like real magic and then like movie magic because some things are possible versus other things that are just not possible, but you see them done in movies. And magicians talk about things about tricks in movies and you know, no no one is like an asshole about this sort of thing, but they do mention like, oh well this trick is technically possible and you can tell for these reasons and then they see other things that's like, oh well that's really like you know, the stuff in Now You See Me is all impossible, basically. Well, so, I'll tell you this. Christopher Nolan's best movie is about magicians. So, fuck you. No, I'm kidding. Go on. Go on. But that, great. I'm not kidding about The Prestige being his best movie. But go on. Really? Yeah, I think The Prestige is easily Nolan's best. Nolan has three five-star movies to me. Prestige, The Dark Knight, which, come on. Like, yeah. Um, and uh, Dunkirk. Mm. Those are my three movies I think Nolan made that are perfect. All right, so what I'm saying is that if it's a gag short about a magic hat, I would like to know what the actual limits of that magic hat are. Like, isn't it... I I feel, like, a little bit disappointed at the end that, like, when he gets sucked into the hat, the hat isn't able to, like, take more things into it and then, like, spit them out again. Or, like... You know, you can make the whole game portal about this concept, and I feel like if it's a magic show, you could have, like, done this with real magic instead of an actually... Well, I mean, like, so, like, real, as in real fake magic that magicians do, you could have done it that way instead of, like, with a magic hat, which basically makes all things possible, but then you you don't, like, you set it up, but then you... I don't know, I didn't think they... They used it for some things, but I don't know. When you set up this magical object, I don't know if they took it far enough. And I know that's kind of a complaint about, like, oh, well, I wish it had been a different short, but that's kind of my issue with this the whole short, and not, not just the inconsistencies, but it raises all of these questions that make me feel like maybe I don't want to change it completely, but, like, it brings up all these things, and I would like to see see it really explore them. I don't know what to say, man. To me, it's like, you're, you're saying this stuff to me. I, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but to me, it's like, it, it is like saying to I know you said, like, well, you get the context of Tom and Jerry from Tom and Jerry, but to me, it's like, it's a rabbit who wants a carrot. It's a magician who wants to put on a good show. He puts on a good show because the rabbit's torturing him. That's comedy. Comedy gold. There's... I'm sorry to be like I I don't I'm not trying to not engage. It's just like I don't even like I can't even fathom the argument. But like, <laughs> I is he is he a bad magician? Why does he need the rabbit to succeed? Why does the orchestra just like applaud everything he does? Because it's funny to have the applauding go. <laughs> it's it would be funny in a situation where they established like a certain amount of credulity for the audience or like the band members the band members seem not to mind much when things go on i was like just before i got on here i was putting on uh the rabbit of seville just because i was like what what can i compare this to that's another like cartoon characters you should have done the, the comparison point to me on this is the um 
Looney Tunes short where he becomes a Bugs becomes a conductor, not Rabbit of just to say like I think it's that one, the one where he becomes you know the conductor. Bugs is like because the conductor's yeah. like this rabbit, blah, 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 and then Bugs is like you know. Well, I'm half wondering because I didn't finish Rabbit of Seville because I haven't seen it in a long time. I wonder if that's not like a joke in Rabbit of Seville already. No, no, no. What Rabbit, I'm saying is the the composer. Sorry, the composer one is different. They're different well, shorts. But go on. Well, sorry. what I'm saying is one of the first moments in that short because I only got a bit of it and then you were like, all right, I'm ready to record. Is the conductor watching the curtain go up early and then he checks his watch and then he's like, oh well, I guess we'll play. And I feel like that's an important character moment to set up early and then expand upon later we hear about the orchestra um like two th we we see the orchestra like two-thirds of the way through this short and i know reading about it they talked about the difficulty of animating this giant crowd from the front reading about it it seems like that's why they shot it all from the back i can kind of like technically understand that but it's the same thing is like you you're you're describing things which are funny but they're funny because of the context and the characters that you establish before delivering that punchline the punchline seems disconnected from the world it's fine to have faceless people reacting to what goes on on stage but i think it would be much funnier if we if we knew exactly what their perspective was are they like try are they like you know what I don't know I just like what is what is the orchestra's stake in like always playing music like is there you know I'm having a hard time thinking of something that would make sense in the world right away but like there's like a pretty woman you just be like there's a pretty woman in a box up on the right and the conductor's looking up at her instead of at the stage so he's missing all of the electrocution that happens and shit like that so he just is always like ba -da -ba -da, da 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 and like I don't know, he just I'm and I could go on and on about this this character who is is out there, but the short sets up this third character of the audience, and then like they don't give us any information about them. Mark, I, I, again, it's just like the like we <laughs> it's a cartoon, <laughs> and I hate I hate that I I know this is a podcast where it's like oh let's find again I've already said this, like this is a podcast about. How great it is to find like the deeper meaning in this stuff, but this is a cartoon designed to be a cartoon, a love letter to old cartoons. Maybe you get the conductor for a brief joke at the beginning of Rabbit of Seville, but I don't think we go back to the conductor. The whole joke of it is like, oh, we're starting early. That's how Bugs is able to get on stage. I haven't seen Rabbit of Seville in years, but like the but core you don't of Rabbit of Seville. But, but you immediately understand that the conductor is like he does not care about what happens on stage for two-thirds of presto it is unclear why people keep playing when bad shit happens because it's it's funny that's why it's funny i mean that's i get that there's incongruity there I, it's I gotta like ask, why I gotta is ask. there happy music I, when there's did you watch wally growing up did you is this the first time you've seen this short sorry i don't want to this is no, i feel like i've I seen be, this short before okay Okay, sorry. I'm just like, to me, I'm just like, you're act you're asking these questions to me that to me, they're just part of the ground reality of this short. It's, to me, it's like asking like, why in Finding Nemo does, like, he not, why don't we have a scene in Finding Nemo where they're in the sewer 
and Nemo's avoiding like the filters that would chop him up. To me, it's just like you're like it is a given of this short that since it is a cartoon, and I mean that with love, like this is. That's another thing I love about this short that we haven't even got to is that this is really like a pioneering short in bringing that squash and stretch and that old style animation to CGI. Because this is pre Clive a Chance to Be Balls. This is pre Hotel Transylvania. This is pre the recent, obviously, Luca and Turning Red and all those ones that are doing it now. But this is like. <laughs> it's. it's We are the audience and. Yeah, I get what you're saying about the orchestra and like why is the orchestra playing this music? But is does adding the orchestra as a character make this better? I don't think so. I mean, I, I really get where you're coming from because I do think that it has to do the difficult thing of referencing old cartoons which were uh, serialized is the wrong word. It's just, but it was like, what? What the fuck am I trying to say? Episodic. Well, uh, that's what I'm, what I'm saying is that like, it's trying to do something. It's referring to cartoons that had established characters without having established characters, and it is also not trying to set up a world where you need established characters. So it does try to bring us in really quick and then try to bring us out really quick, and. I think in the end I'm just like that's uh it's that's just a flawed premise. Mark, I have a question for you. All it's very right. important. So do you think your friend the rat is better than Presto? Because we probably should talk about that over short film a bit doing this, and I don't think we're gonna agree on Presto. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know. I enjoyed it more than Presto, but I don't know if it's like better. Your friend the rat is obviously a short film related to Rad Toy. And this week is spring break at my job. Which means that I did what I do every spring break and had our activity be March Madness. Which meant I made a bracket for these kids to vote on. And we ended up doing 64 movies. Because they, they told me to do 32. Well, well one of my cards said do 32. I'm like, no. We're going to do 64 movies. Because the kids wanted to vote on movies. I, I was willing to do superhero. I was willing to do anything they wanted to do. And the kids were like, let's vote on the best movie ever. I'm like, okay. That that makes it easy for me. And so I made a bracket of 64 movies. Um, the regions were Disney, Pixar. And they're all they're mostly cartoons. Uh, Sony and Illumination combined. And then DreamWorks plus the movies kids kept demanding I had even though I didn't want to do them. Which were like Home Alone and Shazam 2. <laughs> which are not cartoons. I kept saying those are cartoons. But they're like, please, just include them. And I was like, alright, fine. But I wanted to tell you... Well, first off, that I determined seeding by... Um, I went on Letterboxd and I sorted them by popularity. Like the Letterboxd game. Which gave me some whack seeding. Guess where the Little Mermaid came in on the Disney seeding? Out of 16 movies. Like 14? 15! How is The Little oh, wow. Mermaid the, that low? Do you want to know what the one what seeds were? number one? Yeah. Um, the one seeds were Encanto, Ratatouille, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And... Well, are you sure that's not because you used Letterboxd now that I'm hearing these? 
Like kids who like the Little Mer- Mermaid aren't on Letterboxd, but people no, who no, like no, Puss no, no, in Boots no. are. Here's why Little Mermaid doesn't make because I didn't sort by rating. I sorted by popularity, which is number of people who've marked it as viewed. In that case, I would have assumed more people have marked the Little Mermaid as just viewed. not necessarily they've watched it and logged it, but they should have marked it as viewed. You know what I mean? Nah, man. People, if you have a letterbox, you have a weird life. Anyway, my point here that's funny is that two of my 16 seeds won the first round. Spider-Verse and Encanto did not make it past the first round. But I want to tell you my Elite 8 with the seeds they got, and I want you to try to guess what won overall. Okay? So the Elite 8 were 9... And I'll just give it to you in order of region. 9 seed Aladdin and 2nd seed The Lion King for Disney. 8th seed Finding Nemo, 11th seed Luca for Pixar, 4th seed Minions The Rise of Gru, and 6th seed Hotel Transylvania, and then 5th seed Kung Fu Panda, and 10th seed Boss Baby. So what do you think won this this bracket overall? Boss Baby. Yeah, it did! Boss Baby! Boss Baby! Boss Have Baby! Seen Boss Baby, or was it like a bit? I've seen the Boss Baby. Do we not talk about the Boss Baby? Yeah, they liked it. The kids Mm. love the Boss Baby. In fact, I I really was not not doing. I was. I usually say, "Kids, stop chanting." I hate chanting. And uh, these kids, when it was Boss Baby versus Survivor movies, I did just keep chanting. I was like, "Boss Baby, Boss Baby," because I wanted the Boss Baby to make it far, and then it went too far. So I shouldn't have put my finger on the. You know what I mean? Like on the polls too much because I, I was like, I didn't want to win. I just wanted to go get far. So do you have to watch the Boss Baby now? No, it wasn't like that. We were just voting on what the greatest movie of all time is. Yeah. But you just like pick cartoons and other things. That well, it was like... really the best cartoon of all time, really. You know what I mean? It was most of the the only live action movie in the seating was Home Alone and Shazam Two, which was really funny because the kid who demanded we put in Shazam Two got picked up before we voted on it, so no one voted for Shazam Two. So Madagascar got very lucky with its seating because of that. Because it basically wow. got a free pass. <laughs> Why didn't the other kids like bully him into not putting Shazam 2 on there? Because that's not how it worked. It was like, I was looking for some last ones to put on. I was like, ah, I'm not going to bother asking these kids when they keep telling me put Shazam 2 at home alone on here. So I'll just, you know, like I'll, I'll humor them. I'll put it on there. Just, you know, get this over with. Because it took... Because, you know, once you get the movies done, that's the easy part. Then you have to do the seating, and you have to actually like, draw out the bracket and figure out how the bracket works. Because mm. that's very long. And then it takes an hour to actually vote on the bracket. But the point is, during the outdoor recess was when I was putting together the actual bracket. So what? how did Ratatouille do? <laughs> it was first seated, actually. It was against Cars 2. It wins the first round, but the next round it goes up against Finding Nemo, and Finding Nemo wins. That That's fair. That's yeah, if you want to know what it. the Elite Eight of just Pixar's area was, it was, because I said Nemo and Luca were the top two. The Pixar, um, Nemo went up against 12th seed Incredibles 2, and Luca went up against 10th seed Turning Red. Which, all this makes sense, these are kids, so they wanna, they're going to vote for the movies that are more their age, you know? Although that meant Lion King winning overall was kind of a surprise. Like, not overall, but like making it the top two. Because the final two match was Lion King versus Boss Baby. I was a little... Lanky making that far is pretty impressive, considering some of the other stuff going on here. Also, the seating being wacky meant, like, 
Because, you know, I said Little Mermaid was 15 seed. That meant the first round was Lion King versus Little Mermaid, which is a very stacked first round fight. So, when did you lose interest in your friend the rat? Pretty early on. Like, from that opening shot where you realized that they were actors? Well, as a child, that's where I lost interest. But I just... I don't like learning. <laughs> I think... R.I.P. Giving me this thing... Well, well, it's... It's a short that's designed to be edu edutainment, and it's not really funny, you know? It, it gets the education part right, it doesn't get the tainment part right. Mm -hmm. It's just, here's some facts about rats. Oh, we're arguing that it was really the flea that did it wrong. There are two jokes in here that made me laugh. One of them was the cut to PT flea. Good cut. And I think it's during this, I'd have to look up the lyrics to the song to tell you exactly what joke made me laugh, but... Um, the TV trope for it is, because I remember, you know, when you first discovered the internet as a high school or middle school and you like movies and TV shows, TV tropes is one of the first, like, things you discover and so it all just gets put in your head. And the TV trope I'm thinking of is subverted rhyme every occasion, because, you know, it should be every time. And there's one in here where it's like, even in Cutter or wherever you people go... And you think it's going to be Qatar and wherever you are, but then go, go. And then they rhyme go with Truffaut. And I'm like, okay, that, that, that's a good, that made me laugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy the song, which is called Plan B. Yeah, I know. I just Google the lyrics so I can get the lyrics right. So It's very fun. It's, it's some juicy writing there. I don't know. I mean, I kind of think it does go on for a long time. And then you get to the song and then you're like man, this song is not the end of the short, but we are going to hear this entire thing. Like, that is, you know, maybe not super pleasant, but I think the song itself, it's its such fun lyricism. It is one of those things also where it's like, I think Pete Sohn and Pat Nozzle would both say they're not really professional singers, but just, just because of that, that doesn't make it funny or particularly fun to listen to them sing for four minutes, you know? <laughs> like... Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull a you with Presto about my assumptions going on is I I did not think this would be funny. I was not expecting to laugh or even like come close to it. I also don't think that edutainment is I think that edutainment even if the tainment is barely there it rarely has any edu. So I was going in with that in mind. But also I was just like I don't know, I'm not going to find any of this funny. I just want to like not feel like shit for 13 minutes. And I feel like shit, but just, you know, you're watching something that's like, oh, well, you know, you're not going to learn about death or anything like that, which is funny because the war sequence is really, like, loud and in your face. So even the tainment part is a little shaky, but, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of the best, I don't know why, whenever I talk about edutainment, I think about VeggieTales, um, which is, you know, a recurring theme on this podcast, but I think about the best VeggieTales episode that no one talks about, although it goes viral very occasionally, which is uh, the wonderful world of autotainment. It goes viral because it's very prescient to how humor has developed, where it's like, I think Larry's like, we've come to the future where all humor is just auto-generated by artificial intelligence. <laughs> it's like, what is, the, it's like, there's like a ventriloquist robot with like the dummy robot, and they tell jokes, and I just remember one of them is like, the, the punchline is always weed eater, so it's like, 
Why chicken cross the road? Weed eater. And it like was hilarious to me as a kid. And it's like, yep, oh, that's how humor works today. That's what I think about when people talk about edutainment. Because I think about autotainment. And mm-hmm. this weird VeggieTales episode that was not about God or anything. It's just about <laughs> random bullshit that happens. That's when and you it's... get the vision from God. So you you were not edued nor tamed? No, I wasn't tamed. And I didn't learn anything either. I did learn one thing. Which is something I did open. Which is about when they say the word Jack Black. And don't make a joke about it being Jack Black like the actor. That yeah, really threw me. Because <laughs> I think even in 2007, people would be like, oh, Jack Black, the guy from School of Rock? And it really threw me that they didn't make a joke about it being like, Jack Black, Jack Black. There's like, oh yeah, Jack Black. And it's this old rat catcher guy that I guess mm-hmm. is famous historically. He has a Wikipedia page. But like, I think most people hear Jack Black, they think, you know, the actor... Yeah, Do you think of Jack Black the actor? Yeah, no, I did too. I really like. I le- I leaned in because I was curious about. I was like, what kind of Jack Black joke are they gonna make in 2007? And then they didn't, and I realized <laughs> that I just like didn't. I I was just like invested in something that was never coming. I also was so curious. There's a moment in it. This this thing around there, where you talk about fancy rats, and they like. One of them, like, giggles, and they're like, all right, moving on, moving on. Like, okay, what was the joke? Like, what is the innuendo there? You know? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, I I I wonder if it's a gay joke. I just don't understand it. I'm just like, what? Yeah, I mean, this short has the same thing, too, where it's like, well, this is a joke that seems like it came from something else, but you're putting it in here, too, like... What what's the deal about the Walt Disney Company not endorsing this message at the end? Doesn't that you are the Walt Disney Company, aren't you? Kind of like undermining your whole thing there. It's also got this this attitude that Emil expresses, and then I guess also the Walt Disney Company in that character expresses too, which is that like people wanting change are really annoying. It's an assumption going in that, like, oh, man, you you want change, Remy. You suck. I can't believe we have to listen to you. I thought we were going to do singing and dancing, not a public service announcement. It's Remy. He's a rat, and he teaches you about rats, and he tells you he's his friend. But as we covered in our Rat to episode, Remy's not our friend. He's an asshole. He hates you. He really hates that's, you, listener. That's why he's the an listener, if you If you feel good right now, just remember that Remy the Rat hates you well we might have exhausted this yeah because our pressed a fight it's like yeah well what do we do next time great question i don't even need to open it up wait we have to give it stuff oh that's right here's what i'm I'm gonna give it i already know can i go first i know i'm gonna give it sure so as i said i'm pissed off that presto isn't on the wally criterion so, what we're going to do is we're going to give Ratatouille a criteria. We're going to put Presto on there, and we're going to leave your friend the rat on YouTube. Because that's where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Not on a Blu-ray criterion. I'll, I'll be very honest. If they put out a Blu-ray of Ratatouille, a criterion of Ratatouille, and it had your friend the rat and not <laughs> Ivor Presto or... um. One man band on it, I'd be upset. I'd be like, "Are you kidding me that you're putting this junk on here compared to the short film that was of it, or the short film you forgot on the Wally one?" 
I'd be mad. That would be hilarious, and based on the Wally criterion, it sounds like that's what they would do. Yeah, I think it would be what they do. Well, I would give Presto a copy of Portal, and I guess I'd give your friend the rat just, un, you know, I liked that. I'd give it a record deal. I want to hear them make more songs. Are they going to do a, a, a collab with Tenacious D? Plan D. Con Tenacious D, because Jack Black. Yeah, I know, because the song was named Plan B, and unfortunately, we had to skip over Plan C to get to Plan D, so uh, scratch sorry, that maybe, whole thing. Maybe this joke would make more sense to me if we cut to the audience. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Honestly, maybe the world of the joke you said a cup would make more sense to would. me. It would. Actually, you know, I was, you know, no joke, I was reading a book about a guy that was like a comedy writer, and he was like... You know, people hate on the laugh track, but you need it more than you think you do. Like I didn't need a laugh track for Presto. Five stars. Five stars, baby. Yeah, well, you don't. It's stars. just that, like, even though you think it's canned, you just respond differently in an audience. We don't have an audience. We haven't established that character, so I don't feel weird about, you know, we should cut that joke because it's bad, not because we have or don't have an audience. This is the lesson that I want. This That is... I would... I would I, w- I want to give Presto, like, the MP3 of this episode. <laughs> okay. All right. Presto, premiere before Wally. I don't hate Wally. Presto, by the way, but I've I've said my piece. Presto, premiere before Wally. We're talking about Wally next time. We got a guest, Gene Arnold. They're great. We'll talk to them. We'll talk about Wally. <laughs> Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.